This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Welcome once again, everyone, to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. This is a new episode of Season 3. Thank you for your faithfulness and listening or watching our podcast. It's been a blessing to come to you guys every Tuesday with a new guest and uh, where they come and they just share their testimony of salvation through the power of the gospel. And today I'm super excited uh, to have this guest on the podcast. I think that he has been a blessing to many, and I can speak even for my husband, <laughs> Richard, who had told me uh, how he was a professor for him at the Master's University. And he is the president of TMAI. And if you're not familiar with TMAI, it is my hope that you get to know what TMAI is and their goal and the, their mission. And we have Dr. Mark Totluck. Welcome to our podcast. It's such a joy to have you here with us. Thank you, Arlen. It's my privilege to be with you and our prayers that we bring honor to the Lord's name as we Amen. talk today. Yeah. You know, the first time before I met you, there were so many people that they just had so many great things to say about you and just what a blessing you are and how they enjoy talking to you. And we know that all of that, it's because of Christ, right? We Amen. can we can say Amen. that all of that, anything good in us, it's not because of us, but it's because of Christ himself. And I know you're involved in so many different ministries, and I hope that we can get a glimpse of you know, everything that the Lord has allowed you to be able to serve Him in, and uh, that being also TMEI and you know, what you do at uh, the Master's University, and a bunch of other things, right, though, <laughs> that the list goes on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. And I normally uh, like to begin by having my guests just to take us back to their childhood and okay. share a little bit about... What was life like growing up with your family while you're raised in a believing home? And what was that like for you growing up? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I was really blessed to grow up in a pastor's home. But I want to preface it by saying uh, my dad and my mom uh, grew up in first-generation Christian homes. Mm -hmm. And so there was just a real clarity and authenticity about their commitment to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad hadn't had the benefit of growing up in the church. And so when he made a commitment to follow the Lord's call to be a pastor, uh, the thing that was most characteristic of my dad was um, his love for the gospel. He was a true evangelist. Mm -hmm. We're all called to evangelize, but there are those who are particularly gifted and appointed by the Lord who just are very effective in sharing the gospel. So I grew up uh, didn't matter where we went. It was the gas station, or the grocery store. It was uh, Others in the community, my dad was always quick to take the initiative to introduce people to Christ. And uh, admittedly, I didn't appreciate that, took that for granted um, when I was a child. But as I've grown and come to understand the priorities in God's Word to advance the gospel, now I really treasure um, mm -hmm. the example of having a dad who just lived with a sense of urgency that mm -hmm. Christ could come back anytime and we need to do everything we can to see the gospel advanced. And I learned a lot uh, watching my dad. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of what I learned is sometimes the church can become so occupied with its own busyness and good things, but lose sight of the lost. And so what I had embedded in my heart early on by his example was a real desire to see pastors and local churches 
keep the gospel as a priority in their ministry and to make sure that even the well-intended good activities and programs of the church don't inadvertently compete with that priority, but to keep people focused. And I think when you look at the church and its responsibility to edify people, we need that. We live in a fallen world. But Paul says that we're to be in the world, just not of it. And Mm -hmm. that means we need to be equipped to go back into the world to evangelize. And so the purpose of the church is to see God's people matured and sanctified, but their sanctification is critical to the effectiveness of their gospel witness. It's not independent of that. Going back to my childhood, uh, I really appreciate learning that from my dad. The other way that that was manifest, and I think it's come to bear in my own life, he really had a heart for those who were least reached or even marginalized. Mm. So wherever we were, as far as uh, being in a church, and he planted churches, we moved around a lot, uh, (laughs) where he was starting ministries, he always tried to look in the community and where were the people that no one was reaching. Mm. And that would often take us into neighborhoods, minority communities, migrant workers, uh, homeless people, people that it was easy to ignore or maybe because of fearfulness not pursue them but my dad was real fearless in that sense he's like if anybody needs to hear the gospel and and would be quick to respond because they're broken they can't uh, really mask or numb the effects of the fall Mm -hmm. um and we we see that in james chapter two you know Mm -hmm. where uh, james says to the church there that it's among the poor that will be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And it's not that he only saves poor people. We should care about the souls of all men and women. But there's uh, an authenticity and an awareness among the poor in these marginalized communities where they're looking for hope. And Mm -hmm. so they tend to have a quicker recognition of their brokenness, the effects of sin in their life, and their need for the gospel. That's something also I learned from my dad is to make sure that uh, we don't just pursue what's comfortable in evangelistic ministry, Mm -hmm. but we look at how we get out of our comfort zone and to move towards people unlike us. And wow, what a life um, lesson that was for me, but also what I've learned in practicing that, what a joy and blessing it is to know people redeemed in, in those environments those are some pretty powerful testimonies. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're better than them. You know, Paul reminds us that such were we. Mm-hmm. So we have to see each other really as equals through the lens of the gospel. And, and yet at the same time, we see such a dramatic transformation in their lives that to be a small part of seeing them come to faith in Christ and to grow is the greatest blessing. Mm-hmm. So don't run from it, run to it. <laughs> um, so those are some things I learned growing up yeah. in my dad's home. Just to um, to see that role model at home, right? Because you can be teaching your child, oh, the Bible says this, but if you're not living it out, yeah. how is that, you know, even like effective? You know, like if yeah. you're not living a life that it's a weakness of Christ, then your, your, your gospel is empty, you know? Absolutely. Well, I've always said, even with our ministry of training pastors and church leaders, there's two curriculum. There's the formal, what's taught, you know, what you write down, study, take tests over, what you learn. Mm-hmm. But then there's the non-formal curriculum, mm-hmm. and that's the example of mm-hmm. godly people who really put those principles that you're teaching into practice. Mm-hmm. And 
we all know, anybody who has kids, that um, <laughs> your kids are quicker to imitate you in what you do before they imitate what you say. Yeah. So you're right. I agree yeah. with you. But that's a that's a high bar, and yeah. I don't always live up to it. My kids <laughs> will tell you that. Um, and yet there's grace in that yeah. when we fall short that we can just, you know, the Lord's mercies are new every day. We can get out the bed every day and say, today I can aspire to make Christ Lord of my life more than I did yesterday mm-hmm. and um, be willing to, to follow his lead. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we know that uh, salvation is something individual. It's not something that we inherit because of your father or your mom. And they yeah. were so faithful, first faithfully serving the Lord. Um, at what point in your life uh, does the Lord truly open your eyes to see, hey, I'm not save because of what my dad is doing like he's been doing such a wonderful job preaching the gospel on the street he loves people that probably are rejected by society but that doesn't save me how do you get to that point and how does your life change you know how was your life before yeah. and when the gospel finally you know opens your your eyes and your heart what are some of the changes that you begin to notice in your life yeah it's a great question for me there are three key times in my youth where I saw the Lord draw me to himself. The first was at the age of four. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I grew up in a tradition and at a time where you preached on Sunday and then you gave an invitation. So I remember at the age of four, walking the aisle, (laughs) praying the prayer, and I was sincere. And my faith was a childlike faith. But at the age of 12, you know, I'd matured some a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I remember my dad came to me and said, son, we need to talk about you being baptized. And that was really pivotal for me. And we were um, at a church where he wasn't the senior pastor at that point. He was going back to school for a, a year. Mm-hmm. So he said, you need to be, w- meet with the pastor. And um, that really sobered me. It was like, oh, I can't take this for granted. I'm going to meet with the pastor. He asked me questions. How do you know your faith is real? And I remember going back home and really getting on my knees and and really praying and saying, Lord, I want to make sure this is true of who I am, and I am sincere, and I take uh, the step into the waters of baptism genuinely. And so that was a really important watershed moment for me as a young boy. But admittedly, it wasn't until I was in college mm-hmm. and was really discipled uh, in a very intentional, loving, personal way that having an older man get under the hood of my life and really looking at the lack of integrity between what I professed and what I practiced. And so uh, maybe a little bit of context that might be helpful to some of your listeners. As grateful as I am for the example of my dad, he would tell you if he was here uh, today, that we were part of a denomination that was characterized by legalism. So there was a great emphasis put uh, on the broader church uh, contexts that we were in Mm -hmm. on the externals. Mm -hmm. And so I did grow up with that mentality by the time I got to college, I was pretty good at getting involved in ministry, doing things I was supposed to do, and then also living an alternative mm-hmm. lifestyle and uh, having a little bit more independence when I got to college. Um, my reputation was one of uh, really duplicity. You know, My friends knew the truth. I was out partying on the weekends, but I was leading worship on Sunday. So when uh, an older man began to disciple me, he had a lot to work with uh, to close that gap of integrity for me and to teach me that really following Christ and making him Lord of your life 
and being an authentic believer has to do with the condition of your heart. Is he first in your heart? Have you repented of those idols in your heart, the pride, the self-will? And so it was in those years I began to really understand what authentic Christianity is, is really seeing the transformation and the power of the truth to change my affections, my desires, and to bring them in line with what honors and glorifies Christ as a life of love and obedience towards him because of the love and obedience that he demonstrated towards me. And so that was the time that my life just really began to change. Missions became, you know, at the forefront in my thinking, in my heart. And so I'm a big believer in personal discipleship and really uh, believe it's important, even in the local church where you have good teaching and maybe you don't have a culture of legalism as much, but you still have to have somebody who knows you mm-hmm. and knows the reality of the affections of your heart and can help walk with you through repenting of those. And, uh, and, and we spend our whole life still repenting <laughs> over those temptations yes. and, and idols in our heart, but we do grow. Yeah. And thankfully the promise that we have in Philippians one is that, uh, God's going to complete this work that he began mm-hmm. in us. But it was really at that time I began to see the growth in my life. And, um, I'm just really thankful for the way God uses leaders, disciplers in our lives. So praise the Lord. Yeah. And praise the Lord for the example that your parents were because later on in your life, this was going to be very vital in your life. You know, when this person now comes alongside you, yeah. you know, the truth, you know, the Bible, you've been taught all these things. But then finally, when you have someone truly pointing out the things like in your life, and that's why I even, you know, we know how important fellowship with among believers is, how important the church is, because they're the one watching us. They're yes. the one seeing, are we living out our faith or are we having a double life? Yeah, and especially before the loss, we can totally invalidate the gospel message mm-hmm. if we're hypocritical. Yeah. And uh, scriptures are very clear. You know, you think of Exodus chapter... 19, where a mission statement is given to the nation of Israel, the function is a kingdom of priests. That means that they're to be intercessors, mediators between the pagans mm-hmm. and the true God, Jehovah. But it's not just being a priest, you have to be a holy people. Mm-hmm. And so we see that repeated by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, now to the church. Same exact statement kingdom of priests, but you need to be a holy nation or holy people. And so what we need to recover is the wedding of a sanctified life to a life committed to proclaiming the gospel. But we know that if we don't live a holy life, we can't faithfully represent the Lord that we testify Mm -hmm. of. And the biggest excuse that unbelievers use is hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And they're not wrong in that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that Uh, The purpose of sanctification is tied directly to our gospel witness. We need people who can see our blind spots, Mm -hmm. people who are accountable to, people who encourage us, you know, and even exhort us when it's necessary uh, to grow in godliness. Yeah. And I actually want to know, so where did you grow up? My mom and dad met at what was uh, Los Angeles uh, Baptist College. Okay. It's now the Master's University. Mm. So when the school had relocated uh, from downtown Los Angeles, because the school started in 1927 as Los Angeles Baptist Theological Seminary, 
After mm-hmm. World War II, they added the um, liberal arts programs and the undergrad program. Mm-hmm. In 1959 or 1960, they relocate up to Santa Clarita, mm-hmm. uh, Newhall at the time, to uh, have more property so they could expand yeah. the school. So that's when my mom and dad attended and met there. So when it came time for me to go to school, they invited me to come back to Los Angeles Baptist mm-hmm. College. And then I started in 1983, and Dr. MacArthur became president in 1985. And that was the window of time that I was describing that I got discipled and mm-hmm. began to understand the importance of the heart. But mm-hmm. back to my dad and mom, after um, he graduated from seminary, he got involved in evangelism and church planting in Southern California. So we lived up in the Bay Area. Uh, we lived in um, Bellflower, uh, south of Los Angeles. And then we lived down in the Imperial Valley, which is east of San Diego. So all over Southern California is mm-hmm. kind of where I grew up. My dad took a position teaching uh, evangelism and apologetics at Prairie Bible College while I was in college. Mm-hmm. So my entire family, I'm the oldest of four kids, they relocated to Alberta, Canada. Oh, and I wow. stayed here. And ended up working for the master's university. So yeah, and I yeah. wanted to get into that. So you said that after there was a genuine profession of faith, and this person comes alongside you, really discipling you and all that, you do feel drawn to mission, and there is a desire to get involved somewhat in in this whole thing. So will you? mind is sharing all the ministries that you're involved like where are you at right now serving the lord sure well uh let me kind of pick up the story and then i'll I'll get to what i get to do today which is a great grace of god um in 1985 the year john became president of uh, labc and renamed it the master's college right before he started his presidency in august of that year i went on my first missions trip now, back in 1985, that was very unusual. There was no mm-hmm. such thing as short-term missions. Um, I knew very few people who had ever even been on a plane outside the country. I'd not even been on a plane outside the state. <laughs> so it was uncommon to travel back in those days, and particularly to go overseas and do a short-term mm-hmm. missions trip. But uh, there was an older student at the college from Brazil uh, who put together a musical team to go to Brazil and to travel introducing uh, church music and and worship music. It was her senior project. So I was invited um, to be a part of that team, and I went with all the wrong motivations. I just wanted to travel. I was very proud. It was something I could brag about that I'd been out of the country. Um, I loved music, and so I said yes, and they took me. Um, That doesn't mean I'm a great musician, but I got on the team, so I was thankful for that. After the team got established, they came to me and said, uh, well, your dad's a preacher. Uh, would you like to be the preacher? Because we're going to do concerts, and we need somebody to give a gospel message and to, uh, to do that part. And I said, yes. And, um, and so the joy I had that summer, we spent five weeks in Brazil. We had a, a pass on the national airline, mm-hmm. so we spent about three days in every city. We flew all over the country did concerts in churches, evangelistic concerts, and I had the joy of preaching one sermon. I had one sermon. It was out of <laughs> Acts chapter 16, and it was the testimony of Paul and Silas in prison. Oh, wow. And my outline is pretty simple. What do you do in trials? They prayed and they praised. 
But what I love about that text is it goes right into the narrative about the Philippian jailer that asks the most important question any of us could ask, and that is, what must I do to be saved? So then I present the gospel. But it was um, one night in the city of Manaus, uh, up in the Amazon, having preached and giving an invitation, which we did then. Um, I remember five people walked the aisle and came forward to pray with the church leaders uh, to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, I told you, I went on that trip for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at that time, was a history pre-law major. I was going to go to law school. I had my whole future planned out. <laughs> I knew what kind of home I wanted lived in, what kind of car I wanted to drive, in, drive and, and everything. But that night, having that experience of being used in a small way uh, to see people uh, come to faith in Christ and change their eternal destination, even though I grew up observing that with my dad and everything, it was the first time I really had been part of the process personally. Mm-hmm. And the church cleared out. There was a reception afterwards. And I remember sitting on the front pew, and I just began to weep. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, this thing, missions, that I really dreaded, I, I told the Lord, I don't want to go into missions. I knew better, but that's just not where my heart was at the time. And I just began to weep, and I said, Lord, I'm, I got it wrong. The thing I thought was the last or worst thing that you could call somebody to do is really the greatest and most noble thing, to be involved in some part of your redemptive mm-hmm. plan. That's what changed my entire life, and that just was reaffirmed. But. It wasn't just me having a change of heart. It was me understanding the value of these short-term trips for college-age students. And God set in my heart a real desire to give other students the same opportunity so that they could have their view of gospel ministry and missions changed. Mm-hmm. So my passion began uh, became working with students to disciple them. Uh, taking them in local outreach, taking them overseas. And so I made a big decision in my life. I decided to go to seminary instead of law school. And they were kind enough to hire me as an RD up in Hotchkiss uh, at the Master's University. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I had lived in Hotchkiss for four years, and then I got to be the RD. And I just fell in love with student ministry. And Mm -hmm. that discipleship piece, the missions piece, bringing all that together in a life-on-life ministry context. I was going to seminary. Um, I met my now wife, who's amazing. Uh, She grew up in a military home. Her dad was in the uh, Navy uh, during Vietnam. And so they had lived abroad quite a bit and moved around a lot. And then she she followed her parents uh, to the mission field after her dad retired. Um, from the Navy. We had a conversation two weeks into dating. I said, look, I want to go into missions. At that time, I I was really open to going into a closed access country. Mm. Uh, It was before the wall came down, the Soviet Union. So I said, what do you think? And we were both a little bit older at that point. Mm. And uh, she didn't even hesitate. She goes, if that's what the Lord's calling us to, I'm in, let's go. (laughs) I said, all right. So uh, it became very clear to us that the Lord was leading us together and We thought we would go to the Ukraine. The wall came down uh, at that period of time, and I graduated from seminary, and we were going to go to the Ukraine. But uh, the mission agency, GMI, didn't exist at the time. And so the mission agency that we were working with didn't allow newlyweds to go to the mission field. Mm. What does GMI 
It stands for? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a lot of... <laughs> I know. We have like so many <laughs> acronyms in uh, here, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of alphabet soup. Right. <laughs> so GMI is Grace Ministries International, and that is the missionary sending agency of Grace Community Church. Mm-hmm. They have about 95 families serving around the world through GMI, but GMI didn't exist. So the mission agency that we were working with said, no newlyweds. And I thought, wow, what am I going to do? I'm married and don't have a job. But I had spent the last seven years leading short-term missions trips. And so the leadership at the, at the university said, why don't you come on? We've never had a full-time missions leader on staff and develop the missions program. I said, okay, this is my passion. I'll do that for a year. Well, that one year turned into 27 years working at the Master's University uh, and the kindness and generosity of John MacArthur to give me the opportunity to continue to impart that vision to university students. So I started teaching missions there, eventually became Dean of Men, VP of Student Life, and John and I'd have a recurring conversation. Uh, He'd asked me to do something else, and I said, but I'm going to the mission field, and he says, I know. But I want you to do this and keep imparting that vision to students. And I said, Mm. if God can use me that way, that's great. But I always valued and and in a good way envied my friends and brothers who were overseas. My last five years at the university, I served as the executive vice president and was still trying to do everything I could to create opportunities in every major and things for cross-cultural outreach and just loved it. Absolutely loved the university. But a lot of my friends were serving in training centers overseas. And uh, I was just saying to John uh, a couple days ago, we were remembering a conversation we had together in, in 2011 or 2012. And I said, what's the future of this thing called TMAI? Um, I don't really understand what it is, and, and, but I know my friends are serving and they need help. He said, well, it was always my desire to see a, a growing complement between the university, the seminary, its graduates, developing training centers. He said, would you like to take a shot at trying to coordinate um, how we can strengthen that? And I said, absolutely. If we can serve these guys and mm-hmm. make their ministries flourish. I did that while I was still serving as the EVP at the university, but it became apparent that TMI was poised for some significant growth and really required full-time leadership. Mm-hmm. So uh, as things transpired, I transitioned in 2014 to become the full-time president of the Master's Academy International. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds great. Big, fancy title. The reality was um, <laughs> I transitioned from a full university, a team of vice presidents, and, and all these resources to uh, sitting in an office by myself <laughs> down here at the seminary. And those were some of the most significant times for me. You know, I've been Mm -hmm. preaching my entire life that Christ was everything. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the Lord just humbled me. I didn't have all the externals. I didn't have all the the support in place. It was just me by myself. Mm -hmm. And I came to really taste of the truth of that principle that Christ is all you need. People didn't know what TMAI was. There was not a lot of affirmation, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized we had a great opportunity to build build up. And I describe it as a startup endeavor. And I have to say this right away, the Lord gave me a partner immediately. Um, I'm a people person. I enjoy working as a team. Yeah. Uh, being alone was not <laughs> ideal for me. And so the Lord brought Brian Tamisian, who had mm-hmm. been serving as a school administrator in Russia, 
our training center there. He understood exactly what the needs of a training center were, how to help them on the ground. It wasn't just me alone in an office. It was Brian and I together sharing an office. And the Lord used those early days to really knit our hearts together. Mm -hmm. And we still serve side by side. He's the EVP of TMAI. And I credit him for so much of our progress mm -hmm. in what we've done. And today the Lord's really allowed us to grow the ministry and, and build out uh, an amazing staff that it's a mm -hmm. joy to serve with. They're just remarkable. But you asked about kind of some of the other opportunities. So I kept teaching missions at the university. I was given the opportunity to teach missions at the seminary, then working with TMAI. GMI, I had been asked to be an elder a number of years ago and was invited to serve on the team of elders overseeing Grace Ministries International. You know, my whole world kind of has become all things missions within the family of ministries that Dr. MacArthur leads. And just trying to be faithful to mm -hmm. find all the wins we can of complement working together, uh, sharing resources and supporting uh, our missionaries and our training center leaders around the world. So currently I uh, give leadership to GMI. Uh, I serve as the chairman of, of that team. And then I serve in leadership with TMAI. But I, again, I want to say really quickly, uh, I get the benefit of speaking on occasions like this, but I'm not really the important one here. It's mm -hmm. just a, a remarkable team of people, both at GMI, elders, the staff, the outreach staff, the team of, of leaders, not just here in our office at TMAI, but our regional leadership, the leadership of our schools, the army of volunteers that undergird this effort, the prayer warriors, the donors, the churches that support this. It is an amazing untold story mm -hmm. of literally the hundreds and thousands of people that are all engaged in a direct way to support this work that God's doing around the world. So mm -hmm. uh, I just have the privilege of telling others about it, and I want to be faithful to that. Amen. And you're also an elder here at Grace Community I Church am. also. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so now that we've been, you know, kind of sprinkling a little bit about all the different ministries, because I was in the same position when Chris Burnett came to share his testimony here and he said TMAI, I'm like, wait, 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 slow down. What do you mean? <laughs> what? What is TMAI? And he was graciously just like, yeah. I wasn't familiar. This is in the same campus at Grace Community Church, right? You guys are here at the Master Seminary building. Yeah. I had no idea what was inside this building. I know it was a seminary, but I didn't know that it, there was something called TMAI. If you wouldn't mind just sharing with them what does TMAI stands for, what is the goal and mission of TMAI, and how are you guys serving throughout the world currently? Yeah, I'm glad to. It's yeah. a joy. So TMAI, again, stands for the Master's Academy International, and these are training centers established around the world by graduates of the master's seminary and university oh. to equip and train pastors. Primarily, the tip of the spear is to be expositors, to mm -hmm. faithfully handle the word of God. We also train other church leaders, elders, to mm -hmm. rightly interpret and to teach the scriptures. We've watched the number of schools grow, and you should know this, we only go into a country at the invitation of national pastors who have a desire to be trained. Mm -hmm. So anywhere we work is a testimony to God already creating a desire and an appetite among national pastors for uh, expositional preaching and, and uh, to be trained to do that. Uh, that's important to say because God gets the credit for that. We just come alongside in what he's initiating and, and working uh, to accomplish. So um, we're there to serve national churches and national pastors. Now, 
if you want to get a sense of the scope of impact of TMI today, we have uh, 17 schools that are members. So it's a large group of schools. If you look at how many teaching sites those 17 schools have, it's over 80 teaching sites. So we may be in a country, but we could have between three and 10 teaching sites in that country, and not only within that country, but in neighboring countries. Mm. Uh, Our current enrollment is about uh, 3,000 students across all these schools today, and they represent about 75 nationalities. So what will happen is we'll have a school in one country, but students from neighboring countries will come to be trained and go back Mm -hmm. to their home country. And that opens up another satellite or extension. Um, So we see that kind of growth. There's another perspective on impact and growth, and that is the number of new schools being planted from scratch uh, in countries uh, around the world. So right now we're working with 20 schools that are in the development phase that we expect to come into membership within the next five years. So that's over doubling the number of schools in the next (laughs) five years. So that's what I meant. We saw the trajectory and it's only continued to be a steep one going forward. Mm. Uh, The other thing that we have is uh, an extension of ministry where we recognize what we call affiliate schools. These are schools that we didn't plant but are historically, um, biblically sound, would agree with us in doctrine. They just want to benefit from the fellowship of like-minded brothers. And so we recognize them as friends and affiliates, and we invite them to our meetings for fellowship. And it's an effort to try to help them stay strong, Mm -hmm. because there's always the risk and threat of liberalism and uh, theological compromise in in schools and theological education. Mm -hmm. So we want to help good schools stay good schools. Mm -hmm. And we do that through fellowship and encouragement. So when you add all that up, it's a pretty significant global footprint. Mm -hmm. And we expect that to continue to multiply and reproduce itself. These are amazing days, exciting days. They're troubling days. If you just look at from, you know, a a secular perspective, Mm -hmm. but I've, believe there have never been more exciting uh, days and as far as opportunities for impact for the truth and the gospel than today. I mean, we're literally seeing a reformation movement in parts of the world. Some of the work that our guys do is they don't just teach and train in the classroom. They disciple Mm -hmm. all those church leaders. They uh, establish model churches like we have here at Grace with the seminary. So people can see what not just expositional preaching looks like or experience that, but what flows out of that, which is a biblical philosophy of ministry and the mm-hmm. sanctifi- sanctification of its people and then the outreach to the community. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of people coming to faith in Christ, coming uh, out of false gospels, false religions, because churches are maturing in the truth and are communicating a true mm-hmm. gospel. We believe our mission is directly in line with the Great Commission. But to summarize it quickly, the focus of TMAI is to equip and train uh, approved pastor teachers to really mature their churches and to advance the Great Commission. And that's what we see happening. Yeah. Yeah. And how can people um, get involved in supporting TMAI? Yeah. And I will be putting, you know, I will, I will add the link to TMAI on the show notes and it will be there in the okay. description if they want to find out more information. But how can people be supporting you guys? Thank you for asking. There's three ways that people can join us in this endeavor. And I mean that. Truly join us. Be part of this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love for you to do that. One is intercession. And it's easy to say pray, but we mean it. 
This is really a, a work of the Spirit through His truth, through His people around the world. Uh, there's assaults, attacks. It, it, there is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. So we desperately need God's people to join us in prayer. If you go online, you can um, receive our bi-weekly emails. You can get prayer requests from the field. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, we're pushing out those prayer requests and updates all the time. So please join us uh, as our prayer partners. Mm -hmm. The second area is uh, what we call investing. So intercession, then investment. You can invest in two ways. Uh, obviously, we need financial support, and we praise God for the growing number of people. Uh, large or small gifts, it doesn't matter, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But to join us in supporting this endeavor, what we do to provide the quality of education is offset the cost of tuition for all these pastors, in mm -hmm. essence, grant scholarships to them. So they can pay what is a reasonable amount for them to pay. They all do. So they value their education. But we want to make it as available as possible to anybody who would like to be trained. And so mm -hmm. uh, the resources that are given to us undergird that, as well as some special projects to resource these pastors. So you can invest directly financially, but you can also invest with your um, talents and skill set. When I look at the church, boy, the pews are filled with a skill set of people, whether attorneys, business people, educators. And TMAI, to keep its costs down, really benefits from volunteers who offer mm -hmm. their vocational skill set as advisors or counselors or help us on projects. And uh, I pick up the phone and I can call uh, faithful Christians and, and get counsel or help from them and not have to you know, really invest financially mm -hmm. resources that we'd rather see go straight to the training centers. This is fun to see people use their, their gifting and their passion and their vocation to advance missions. So I always get excited to see that mm -hmm. happen. So intercede, invest in those two ways. And then lastly is introduce. And this mm -hmm. is really important. Uh, sometimes we think about our own interest and how we can get involved. But we need people to introduce the ministry of TMAI. Just like you said, what's TMAI? <laughs> well, the more people who learn about it can tell others about it. That might be someone else who could join us in prayer, mm -hmm. financial support. It might be telling their pastors so their church could participate in our what we call our ambassador programs, where churches adopt training centers to support them um, There's a, or, or to volunteer. If you believe in the mission of TMAI, we would encourage you to think about who in your sphere of influence you could invite, uh, or I'm sorry, to introduce the ministry to. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is send them the link to the website, and they can email in and say, how can I get involved? And we're glad to answer that yeah. question. So. So if you see the, the link here on the show notes, please share, share, share. So pray, invest, and share with other people about it. Yeah. Uh, let everyone know. And I brought this book because it was a gift Good. given to me Good. by Brian. And it's Declaring His Glory Among the Nations. Yeah. And this is from you, uh, the team of TMAI, the faculty and graduates of the Master's Academy International put this together. Yeah. And it's a devotional book. That's what right. inspired you guys to do this book? I mean, it's wonderful. I got to read your um, uh your part here uh -huh. in the book and it's yeah. been, it was so wonderful so yes because i i normally mention books <laughs> so this is one again declaring his glory among the nations what inspired you guys to yeah. do this devotional a couple things inspired us as i said we want to invite god's people to pray with us and i could share prayer requests i could tell the stories 
but we feel like the most impactful thing is for God's people to hear firsthand mm -hmm. from the leaders on the field, the pastors on the field who are being trained to enable God's people to pray and not just pray, but to be encouraged to hear testimonies of what God's doing around the world. We asked mm -hmm. uh, the students and faculty of our schools to author uh, daily devotionals. So this is 365 daily devotional, mm -hmm. but every devotional is authored by someone affiliated directly with the training center. So if you read the devotional, give the author's name and what training center and what country they're working in. And often they'll cite examples of where the text of scripture they're writing the devotional on, mm -hmm. how that is lived out in their own local church or someone who came to faith in Christ or a cultural perspective. And so this is really a lens on the world to start your day with. <laughs> and um, there's prayer requests there uh, for those mm -hmm. schools. And it's just a way of keeping the ministry in front of you on a daily basis and be mm -hmm. encouraged as well. The other thing we want to illustrate is we're training men to rightly divide the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And this introduces you really to the fruit of our training centers of men who are able, even in a short format, devotional, mm -hmm. to rightly yeah. express, communicate what God's Word says. And um, it's really a testimony to the fruit of our training centers to have their graduates author those devotionals. And so it really speaks to what our mission is in that regard. So those are available for free. You can email us at TMAI, let us know you like a copy, and we'll send that out to you. And oh, free books. Glad to get that into your hands. Yeah, free books. <laughs> I have some friends that they are <laughs> obsessed with getting a lot of books, so <laughs> this is your chance. You can get this Absolutely. book for free, and it's so wonderful. I've been, uh, I actually read uh, today's devotional. It was about how to encourage one another, too. So that was uh, from one of... Um, the men in Germany, yeah. studying in Germany. So yeah. that was uh, really encouraging. So again, it's declaring his glory among the nations. And I will put the link again to you guys' website. So if you want to send them an email and ask for your book, for your free book. And I, uh, just to uh, almost get to wrap it up, <laughs> um, what are three things that brings you joy? Yeah, <laughs> a great question. The thing most on my mind these days uh, and I don't mean to share this to sound super spiritual. I, I, I try to say this with all humility. The older I get and the more time I spend in ministry, I'm convinced that the most important thing is for us to know Christ himself. We can teach about Christ, but to know him. I'm really encouraged. We're reading through a book right now by Michael Reeves entitled Delighting in the Trinity. And it so clearly articulates the perfect love of God expressed in the Trinity that then is extended through Christ towards us who are lost so that we can be invited into that same loving fellowship uh, relationship that God created us to enjoy, but the fall broke. It's one thing to share the gospel with the idea of rescuing people from hell mm -hmm. and a destiny uh, of suffering. But really what the scriptures are prioritizing is it's not what you're saved from, it's what you're saved to. And it's saved to a relationship with God. And knowing God, and particularly knowing Christ, is the opportunity that we were saved for. And so um, this book illustrates it really well. We're also reading um, John Bunyan's little book, uh, All Loves Excelling. Right now we're reading as a staff. That is a treatment of Paul's um, text in Ephesians 3, where he's saying, look, Christ's love is unsurpassing. You know, mm -hmm. the height and depth and breadth of it. But his prayer is that we would grow to know the love of Christ and be perfected in it. I'm just persuaded that the thing that brings most joy is 
growing in a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He talks about that in John 15, about abiding in Him. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a quest right now to grow and to understand more what it means to have real joy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the psalmist talks in Psalm 37 about delighting yourself in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced most of us spend our Christian lives very busy doing good <laughs> and noble things for the kingdom, but never really coming to know what delight means. So mm-hmm. number one would be uh, joy in Christ. Number two, of course, would be seeing my wife and kids grow in their love for Christ as well. Uh, I'm blessed. I have five kids. They all profess Christ. Um, they're all at different stages of maturing. And I just long more than anything for them to know him and to mm-hmm. love him and to serve him out of that affection for him. The third thing that brings me joy is just people um, who are just genuine not perfect, but genuine in their desire to uh, serve the Lord. And like I said, I love working with the team. And uh, right now, the teams I work with at TMAI and GMI bring me an immense amount of joy. Uh, I learn from them. I see God at work through them. Um, I want to get better at leading them. Uh, <laughs> they're super patient with me and and uh, all my ideas and, and dreams and... and uh, but it's just a sweet thing, and I'm just so grateful for the people around me. And um, in the end, that's what you have. You've got Christ, you've got your family, and you've got the people that he's brought into your life. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, there's more people. <laughs> and it's just an increasing joy, yeah. the more people that I get to see God at work in their life and count as friends. So. Yeah, and I've gotten the opportunity to talk to your team, some of your team here, and they're just such a blessing. It's, I've had wonderful conversations with them, and I know that they're also blessed with you. The Lord has blessed them with you, too. Um, it's really nice just, you know, it's such a blessing just to uh, talk with you, and it's honestly encouraging. The first time I talked with you, it was very encouraging, and I'm so glad that you all have each other here and then you're able to faithfully serve the Lord together in this ministry and how the Lord has blessed this whole ministry of TMAI, how that conversation that you mentioned about you and Pastor John, like, so what is the goal? What do you see, you you know, TMAI, where is it going? And to see everything that it's being done, you know, and who knows where the Lord is going to take this, right? Yeah. Amen. And I did want to mention, quickly just ask you, because I've read that you and your family, and I think my husband mentioned that you guys are very big in adoption yeah. and fostering kids. Yeah. Would you mind just sharing briefly? No, oh, not at all. Yeah. No, this is <laughs> I would love to hear more about a, a, that and why did you guys decide to get involved in this? Like, you sure. know, Yeah. Well, like I said, my wife and I were a little bit older when we got married. We weren't sure we were going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took us eight years before the Lord allowed us to have our first two sons. But due to health issues and so forth, um, we realized that uh, we wanted to grow our family, and adoption made the most sense. Mm-hmm. Because of both our heart for missions and my involvement in travel, I'd been in so many places where the needs of orphans were very apparent to me. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I agreed immediately that adoption, and particularly international adoption, although since then we've really looked at supporting foster care, foster adoption, and every other form of, of adoption today, private, domestic, 
but our experience is international adoption. So we have two biological sons. Uh, we have a daughter from China and then a son and daughter from Uganda. So we have a very multicultural family. Yeah. <laughs> and we love that. When I tuck my kids into bed at night, we're just mindful that God's promises is he's going to redeem those from among the nations. And that God's family is going to be a picture of this multinational adoption story. Through the adoption experience, we were introduced to other families and ministries, and we're part originally of launching the adoption ministry here at Grace Church that others lead and do an excellent job, and we're just cheerleaders <laughs> for them. But we've talked to a lot of families over the years that we just try to share what we've learned in the experience. It's um, filled with all kinds of opportunities to stretch your faith and see God provide. I could spend the rest of the day telling you amazing <laughs> stories in our lives. But um, we love all of our kids. We don't see them as different. People often will ask the question, can you love your adopted kids as much as your biological kids? And I just have to tell you, uh, there is no difference. There never has been a difference in our thinking, our affections. We love our adopted kids. Our biological sons love their brothers and sisters most of the time. No, they love them, <laughs> but they're all just regular along, kids. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So adoption's a, a huge part of our life, and we've been real advocates to encourage others to consider doing mm -hmm. the same, whatever means they go about that. But we know children are precious in the sight of the Lord, and so many children today are the most vulnerable. Scripture speaks to that, and the opportunity for people who know God to demonstrate His love, mercy, and compassion towards them and that's a way that we live a sanctified life and put his character on display. And it's a way to picture the greater story of adoption spiritually and yeah. the gospel. So if I take more time, I'll start preaching on it, and I won't do that. <laughs> but uh, there's some really tremendous you know, resources that are available today to help people, uh, believers particularly, um, consider any aspect of adoption. And uh, we find a great joy of kind of counseling couples through that process. Yeah, and I feel that our church, that's pretty... Uh amazing job just coming alongside families that want to pursue that to you know adopt uh children so and i and i just love even the past couple of oh, sundays i believe the pastor john has been preaching on the family yeah. it's just such a blessing uh just to know how important that the, the children are a blessing from the lord you know and just to put our our eyes and our and our perspective into that because the world have made it seem as children are an obstacle or a problem right. you know and that's not how like the lord says your children they belong to me yes you know and yes. and that should be the perspective that we should have and how vital it is that parents are instructing their kids in the ways of the lord i mean we see it in your life how your parents they were a great example your dad was a tremendous influence in your life mm -hmm. just to see his faithfulness to the lord but also to show you that there is no difference in the eyes of the Lord, whether it's a homeless or whoever it is, those are the people that we need to go. Christ came for the sick, not for, yes, right? For, that's right. Right? That's exactly right. <laughs> so uh, that like he will be with the people who are most rejected in society. Yeah. He didn't come to be just with the clean and, and, and the one that has the most money or has the best job. No. And I've, I think uh, I've been blessed to hear testimonies of people who, uh, specifically a family who is homeless. Mm -hmm. They ended up homeless. She mm -hmm. ended up being pregnant okay. on the street and how the Lord saved him, yeah. both of them. And they're here at the church. Yeah. And just like when you were saying the story, all <laughs> I can think was their testimony. Yeah. That was their testimony. Yeah. They were at the, on the street. 
no hope, but Christ came into their lives and changed everything. Yeah. And now they're serving the Lord here at the church. So praise the Lord for that. And thank you so much for taking this time to talking to us and sharing part of your life because I know we didn't get the whole, you know, big picture, but I'm, I'm hoping that we have been able to grasp just a little bit of what the Lord has done in your life. And it's been a blessing to have you. And I hope we can get you back sometime. <laughs> we do try to uh, bring our guests, you know, uh, on other times. But before we end, um, as I mentioned to you in the beginning, I love for people to share why is it that we need Jesus Christ in our life. And then after you share that, if you wouldn't mind just closing us in prayer. Oh, thank you. Why does anyone need Christ? Uh, the reality is, is we all need Christ. He's the only hope that we have. The problem is people who've been deceived and have set their hope in anything but Christ. They're on that broad path uh, only to find out in the end that it's not just showing up as they say, as I heard in the news recently, someone say, hope I show up at the pearly gates and I've done enough for God to let me in. People don't need to live their life in fear or uncertainty. Uh, the scriptures are very clear. Uh, there is a sure way to know that you can go to heaven, spend eternity uh, with Christ, and he is the only way. And people need to understand there are not multiple paths. There are not other directions or, or faiths to follow. They do not all lead to the same end and direction. That is a lie. That is a deception uh, intentionally uh, propagated through those who are deceived. So let me just be clear. We all need Christ. He's the only way. And the beautiful testimony of God through his word tells us that because he loves us, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. You and I cannot do that. We do not have the ability. Our best efforts, the scripture tell us, are like filthy rags. That means we have to wholly depend on the person of Christ. And the reason for that's important. If you lean on your own human efforts in any way, which most false religions or worldviews teach, then you could take the credit. You could receive the honor for gaining your salvation and redemption. There is only one God. There is only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And for him to receive all the glory, it means that we have to confess that we have no ability in our own strength to earn or merit his forgiveness, his redemption, or eternal life. The joy is he extends that freely. It's a free gift. And all we have to do is trust in the promise of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross for us, the willingness of the Father to forgive our sins, to look on Christ who paid the atonement and payment for our sins, and allow us then to be forgiven. This is so essential. And it cuts through all the confusion, all the false teaching, all the false gospels, all the cults, all the other religions. And it brings everybody, no matter what country, what context, what culture they're a part of, back to this one clear biblical truth. And that is Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God our Father. And it's an offer extended to you today if you're not saved. And it's my joy to do that. So please consider that. I know if you have questions, uh, you can follow up with us at TMAI. Uh, certainly uh, anyone here at Grace Church, Arlenis, I'm sure they could reach out to you. Uh, it would be anyone here's uh, greatest joy 
to try to answer those questions and to show you this wonderful, wonderful promise in the scriptures. So for those of us who know Christ, we know that we don't live uncertain lives. We're not confused. We're not afraid. We have certainty that our sins are forgiven. And we spend our life not with anxiety uh, or fears about the future, but with confidence. And, and then in addition to that, we get the abiding presence and encouragement and love of God who enables us uh, to know him and to walk with him faithfully. And that's what we long for people to, to know, the great joy that we have in Christ. So let me pray for all of us and give thanks for what he's done for us. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of your amazing love, you extended to us amazing grace, meaning that we can look to Jesus Christ alone as the solution, as the ultimate provider of what we need to have our sins forgiven. We are all sinners. No one is better than anyone else. We're all under the curse of sin, and yet you have removed that curse from those who have chosen Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And I pray for those listening today. If they're believers, that they would take their faith even more seriously, make a commitment to live their lives for the honor and glory of Christ, to be actively and faithfully uh, serving in their local church, to look out to the needs of the lost. For those who might be listening who aren't confident that they know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would grant to them the faith that they need and then bring alongside them someone who can show them clearly in the scriptures uh, what the answer is to the ultimate and eternal questions that every person needs to answer and to have those questions satisfy uh, their desire to have this issue settled in their own life. And we pray, Lord, we would learn in the days ahead of those who respond and come to faith that we might enjoy fellowship with them. Thank you for Alenis. Thank you for just this opportunity to speak of you and to speak of your work around the world. And we would simply ask that you be honored in all we do. We pray this in Christ's name.